You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I interview Jonathan Lucier, Director of Business Development for Canova Robotics, a Montreal-based designer and developer of assistive and industrial robots. During the interview, Jonathan details the features and capabilities of the company's latest release, the 6-axis Link 6 Cobot, and explains what distinguishes it from other cobots on the market. Before that, though, a word from this episode's sponsor, Misumi Electrical Components. With Misumi, you can discover hard-to-find, cost-effective, and high-quality components that are used across a wide variety of industries, including automotive, food and beverage, medical, warehouse and packaging, and more. Discover everything you need for your machinery to gear up for your next project by visiting MasumiUSA.com. With that, let's get into the interview. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the Design Engineering Podcast. Hi there, Mike. How's it going? Good. If you could give like a little introduction for yourself and the company that you are with. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, I'm John Lucier. Uh, I can over now for uh, a little bit over five years. Um, my background um, is a little bit different from traditional robotics. So uh, I started off in aerospace, did 10 years uh, in the big, uh, some of the big uh, aerospace companies here in, uh, in Montreal, CAE and uh, Bombardier. I uh, worked on the C-Series and I uh, really had an interest in the more, uh, I guess, uh, quickly moving market of, uh, of robotics. I looked around, um, you know, it's, it's hard to find uh, companies that are as solid as Canova. So I, I found Canova applied and, and, uh, and here I am. Um, so, so at Kinova, uh, I've had different roles. I've been uh, in uh, advanced research. I did uh, program management, uh, program director. Um, I still manage all the IP of the company. Uh, so there's a, a few different roles uh, <laughs> in place wow. now. And now I'm heading up a new division called uh, Integrated Solutions. So uh, Kinova was founded in 2006, um, basically based on uh, the idea of uh, one of our our uh, co-founders, so uh, Charles de Guire, um, who had an uncle called uh, Jacques, um, who had muscular uh, dystrophy and a very, very limited movement and built uh, kind of a mechanical arm uh, for to help himself with uh, some of the tasks. Uh, so so our, 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 our route came out of that uh, kind of uh, assistance uh, robotics uh, sphere. Uh, we were one of the first companies to uh, to uh, to get into that. And, and today we're the, the market leader in that market. Um, so uh, we started off, as I mentioned, yeah, in assistive. Uh, in 2012, uh, we, we noticed that uh, a lot of our clients actually weren't from the assistive market, so uh, weren't uh, to install the robots on, on wheelchairs, uh, but rather uh, people in the research industry, mostly at academia, um, looking for a really lightweight and safe robot arm. Um, so we'll, we'll get back on to that maybe a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, our robots have always been very compact, uh, slow moving and uh, very lightweight. So in terms of safety, they're kind of uh, built to intrinsically safe. Um, so great, great interest in the research market. So we adapted our product, our original Jayco, uh, into the Gen 2, which is our research offering uh, that was there back in 2012. Um, and, and that opened up uh, even more markets. So uh, we got some interest from uh, some surgical robotics uh, companies and working with uh, J&J since, or Oris, uh, now J&J, Wattam, uh, since 2015, I think. So quite a long time. And, um, and that's a, a big, obviously a big portion of our, our, uh, our I 
guess our, our income and revenue right now is on the search core robotics space. So um, that's been our, our a big focus of the company, search core robotics, uh, you know, all the certifications, ISO that go along with that. And then um, we developed a few different arms since then, uh, the Gen 3 in 2008. 18 Gen 3 Lite in 2019, mainly for the educational market. So uh, still like Canadian, but uh, really to, to see which kind of technology can be used to introduce robotics to uh, different levels of education, whether it be you know college level, uh, university, undergrad, or even we've even seen some some high schools interested in, in the robots. Um, so really get, getting the technology out there. And um, and since then, basically since that release in 2019, we've been working, uh, you know, close to our chest uh, with the uh, building six that we we just released uh, wow. I think two weeks ago. So as opposed to the ones you just mentioned, the Jayco and the and the Gen two and the Gen three, and so yeah. those were, I I always got the sense that those were, well, one was assistive for for people in wheelchairs, and the others were sort of research. And now this yeah. is an industrial. This is a new sector that you guys are going into. The Link 6 is, uh, you know, from the name, it's a six kilo uh, payload robot. Um, we have uh, certification tests that, that uh, demonstrate use up to nine kilos in certain applications, and mostly where the the, um, the, the payload or the end effector are closer to the, the base of the robot. So we call it like a mid-reach uh, nine kilos. Um, their uh, dexterous reach is around a uh, thousand millimeters, and how we define that is is a little bit different than uh, other manufacturers. So normally they uh, they define the full reach of the robot where the robot is completely stretched out. Um, but uh, at that uh, one meter reach that we announced, uh, the robot still has some dexterous capability there. So basically, it has a possibility to orient the wrist. Uh, of the robot in different ways at that full reach of uh, one meter. So it gives a little bit more uh, dexterity when you're talking about applications right at the end of the of the reach or in applications where you need that extra dexterity, for example, uh, maybe in welding, uh, sanding, polishing applications. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, you could technically, yeah, it can reach, the, you know, farther. Yeah. What can you really do? At no, that? Exactly, you know, yeah, it's cantilevering no. that much. It's not much. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And then, you know, if you look at misleading and yeah, if you exactly, it, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, in terms of the rest of the specifications, um, pretty, pretty traditional. I mean, uh, the repeatability is around uh, 0.03 millimeters, which right up there with uh, the most, uh, I guess, most uh, industrial robots um, and cobots, uh, IP54 uh, for both the arm and the controller, which is a little bit of a differentiator. Uh, so it means that you don't need to create a special, uh, you know, offset enclosure for the controller uh, further away from mm. the, uh, the insulation. So, you know, you can spray the controller with, uh, with water and, and and that's okay. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's uh, I guess uh, it's not waterproof, but it's uh, splash proof. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, other than that, where we really differentiate ourselves is in terms of uh, the, the capabilities of the robot in terms of the software environment. So uh, traditionally robots have been difficult to, to program. Um, they've had very, very limited uh, built-in capabilities for, for programming. Cobots were some of the ones that, uh, that had the most capabilities and even compared to those, for example, uh, compared to our, our main competitor, we have like uh, 10 times more processing power and, you know, four times more memory. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about more advanced applications, that's really something that we can uh, say that is a big differentiator. Uh, so what that allows us to do is not be so dependent on external systems. Um, so, for example, when we talk about uh, standard industrial integrations, we have a PLC, uh, might have another computer doing, for example, vision handling or, you know, inspection or quality, uh, quality tasks associated. Uh, you might even have another controller that just 
deals with the end effector tool. It could be, you know, like a pneumatic controller. It could be, uh, you know, a controller from a, a third-party end effector company. Um, so um, our controller basically allows um, anybody to build all that functionality right into the controller itself. I see. So um, in the controller, you know, uh, we're the, the first uh, controller on the on the market uh, with a, a big big enough GPU to run the most advanced AI applications right on the robot. Uh, so you don't need an external cabinet uh, or industrial PC next to the robot to, to handle those. Um, we're we're building up our ecosystem partners so that we can have more capabilities uh, similar that use that that capacity uh, out of the box. But that's definitely something that's a, a huge differentiator um, and will really uh, allow our clients to have a quicker deployment time because they're not so dependent on external systems. If I understand it, uh, Canova's previous products have had maybe the controller built into the arm itself so that they weren't, so there wasn't a separate unit. This one, the industrial application one, does have a separate controllers, as many of them do. And, you, and you're saying that this is a, a brainier, like a, a more capable kind of industrial PC implementation that doesn't, can handle whatever you can throw at it, right? Instead yeah, of yeah, attack on another, yet another controller and stuff in order to just do the end effector or to do some kind of higher function AI. And I didn't notice that, that there was, that was an option that you could have like a GPU, maybe CUDA, cores or something like that running yeah 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 all the big nvidia gpus <laughs> gotcha gotcha okay um but yeah it's, it's true you mentioned a good point you know all, all of our previous robot arms and, and you're correct on that uh uh had a built-in controller in the base of the robot um so no external uh dependencies there uh and, and that's really to to simplify uh the use of the robot uh the programming and all that to have it right on board and uh, and the mobility too because you might have yeah. to move it here you might and a wheelchair doesn't need wheelchairs yeah a big suitcase example, under right? it yeah. just to run the robot right so yeah and uh yeah it exactly. made sense and, it made sense to do that but, yeah yeah exactly and, and uh and actually that that's a, a key selling point also for uh, applications and research where any any mobility is required because uh, not only do you not have that big box on the side uh, but normally that box is like usually AC powered. Um, you need like a, a DC to AC converter. Uh, they're fairly power hungry. Um, but our, our all of our previous generation robots are all designed basically uh, lo really low power consumption, usually below 100 watts and some up to like 200 watts, but which is still very low for a robot arm. Um, and and the Link Six, obviously for us, it's a it's a new uh, <laughs> it's a new approach to have this external controller. So say, okay, well if, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Uh, so what are the, what's the gap in the market? Uh, what has our past experience in the research industry taught us about where the applications in, in industrial robotics going in the future? Um, you know, we're lucky to have our robots in like 500 institutions around the world. And so, wow. um, yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're very, very aware of what's going on in the market um, in terms of the research. So the research is kind of like, you know, five or 10 years ahead of time. So we're trying to see how do we build a robot to be the best adapted to those future applications. And uh, where we see it today is really in terms of uh, a good example is logistics. So, you know, we have partners uh, back from the research industry that are now using uh, robots in uh, logistics, for example, in uh, bin picking or in uh, distribution centers uh, where they need to, to, to run advanced AI. So the most complex uh, GPU heavy uh, applications. 
Um, and we'll be able to tackle some of those directly on the controller without any external dependencies or cloud connections. And that's going to be really interesting, for example, where um, the data that you have is maybe a little bit sensitive or you don't want to necessarily always be reporting back or you have a bad connection inside the, uh, the, the DC or the warehouse. Right. Um, so those are all uh, key applications that we saw coming and we're trying to build a robot to be prepared for that. So a little bit of future proofing there. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, right. I mean, I think I think we're the first, so so we're trying to protect ourselves <laughs> a little wow. bit. Do most AI applications depend on some kind of vision system for pattern recognition or or uh, geometry recognition yeah. or orientation kind of things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and I mean, obviously, the, the controller itself being so powerful, and you have all the, the latest connections, USB three, and and all that to to handle that. Uh, but we also have really, really advanced capabilities right in the arm itself uh, for, for delivering those vision systems. So, um, for example, we're the only robot that has a, a dedicated uh, gigabit line going through, all the way through the arm. And that's really to run, uh, right. you know, a standard giggy vision uh, cameras right on the end of the robot without having any external wiring. Um, we also have more power uh, up to six times more than, uh, than our main competitor. Um, so, you know, you can run uh, really, really advanced uh, end effectors way beyond what's on the market today. Um, hmm. Combine that with really advanced sensing systems uh, in order to, to develop those applications and talk about that or kind of dependent on all that data coming in. Does one stack those kinds of things like a, cam like a camera and then like a, a gripper or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is That's that how it that works? <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the, the interesting features. Yeah, so um, we're uh, we're aiming to, uh, we're not aiming to, we are doing. Uh, we have a, a stackable unit, so you can have a, for example, we do have uh, a standard M8 uh, ports that are used in industrial robotics for the end effectors, um, but we also have stackable uh, ones to either break out the Ethernet ports, you have uh, Pogo pins to do it without wire, external wiring, uh, even at the end effector level. Um, so, and then obviously the power is there uh, as well. Um, we're developing our own uh, vision uh, vision uh, adapter um, that basically uses an off-the-shelf Intel sensor, uh, but mm. packaged in a way that uh, where all the connections are internal. And then we're working with partners um, on the end effector level to build up our ecosystem of all those stackable pucks. Yeah, that's important uh, because I mean robotics is tough enough as it is. Yeah, and you tack on and vision systems have are complex as hell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, and then you add in the AI, and you've got three really deep domains mm -hmm. that all really, you know, I don't know how many companies have that much expertise within them, you know, oh. and stuff. So if 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 you can get a product that does all these these three things sort of out of the box, yeah, I'm sure it's not that easy. But you know, I mean, <laughs> we're um, hoping it'd be that easy. But you know, oh, okay, that's that's the intent. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and if I can touch on that a little bit more, I mean, uh, you, you, you're bringing up a good point. Usually when you talk about all these these complex, um, you know, uh, highly specialized systems talking together in terms of a robot cell, um, the programming of all those and the coordination and the integration is actually pretty complex. Yeah. And so you're dependent on, on not only having like a vision expert, but also an automation expert and everything else. And so uh, by providing all that capability kind of built into the controller and somebody that only knows about, you know, the visual program that we offer, uh, visual programming that we offer with the, uh, uh, with the robot um, out of the box, you know, you can do vision system, vision uh, uh, algorithms based on, you know, whatever, 2D. right now we do 2D matching, but uh, you know, everything else that'll be available out of the third party will be available in that visual programming environment. And so by building all that in, inside, 
any, any reconfiguration or programming you can do uh, without having all those external dependencies to. to, to gotcha. Tacking this package yeah. on with that package and trying yeah. to coordinate APIs or whatever. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. The little I understand about robotic programming, or at least of this class of robotic arm, mm -hmm. is that part of its appeal is you have many different layers of complexity. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that we haven't talked about is sort of its wrist control and stuff. If I'm just a regular guy, and I, I guess I, I guess in the robotics <laughs> world, that's what I would be, right? Yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I don't have to know Python or C++ or any kind of ROS compatible no, exactly. um, the programming language. I've got like a little button. I can sort of click it through a series of waypoints, maybe, uh, I'm assuming. And, and it'll pretty much follow what I can to the best of its ability, as long as I don't push it into one of those weird areas, the singularity, right, yeah, yeah, you know, right. and stuff. And then if I, if somebody with a little bit more knowledge has, uh, they can use maybe sort of blocks of code snap mm -hmm. together almost like legos right and stuff i wanted to move from this in this plane from here to there and then i wanted to do this and then i wanted to spin and so you can you have that level and it's sort of low pro low code or yeah it's no, so no code, but that, low code. yeah but yeah based on our our, our background in, in research we call it like kind of like a high, high level programming gotcha. um okay we have the visual programming which is kind of the default that comes out of the box and, and uh and uh, you know it's extremely simple to use. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, on the wrist we have uh, buttons for uh, snapshots and taking waypoints, open and closing the gripper, or increasing speed or slowing down, uh, things like that. So all, all that is built into the the uh, uh, to the the wrist. Uh, one of the, the the really interesting features on the wrist is that uh, we're the only robot with an UL certified uh, enabling device on the end of the wrist. Um, so what that means is that you don't need to necessarily hold the teach pendant with uh, its associated enabling device uh, to to move the robot. Um, so normally, and it depends on the certification that you're going for. So some industrial robots, you, you could do that maybe, but uh, um, the certification won't be the same. Um, but uh, for 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 these uh, cobot teaching uh, devices, um, we're the only one with a UL certified switch. So it's a kind of an interesting switch. It's like a three position switch. You hold it in the middle. You gotta hold it in the middle. And anything if you hold too hard or too uh, too soft, then it it'll kind of deactivate that that mode. And that's really to ensure that the safety of the robot is always maintained, uh, or rather, the, the safety of the user is always maintained. <laughs> the robot can take care of itself. I gotcha. <laughs> right. So, sort of like a dead man switch, you know, yeah, stuff. If, exactly. if if something goes awry and yeah. stuff, and you're not, for whatever reason, conscious and stuff, it shuts itself off. Exactly. Yeah. Without, yeah, yeah. without the user having to think yeah. about shutting it off. And and the interaction level between uh, those uh, wrist level uh, buttons and interactions and the visual program is programming is extremely tight. So um, basically it, it'll automatically create, let's say a program open on the tablet or uh, on your computer, um, a visual program, I mean. Um, you can just start clicking uh, the buttons on the end of the wrist and moving the robot by grasping it uh, with that enabling device and it'll automatically record waypoints. Uh, it'll open and close the gripper if that's what you wanna do. Um, so it's really, really uh, simple to use. And, and a good example of that is, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a kind of a hackathon uh, with a couple of universities here in uh, Quebec. 
And within 15 minutes, they were like up and running with the robot. Uh, and these people that had never, I mean, it obviously never used our visual programming uh, because it's never been released <laughs> before. <laughs> so this is kind of like a, a trial by fire. And, and uh, the reception was really great. Um, they were within 15 minutes uh, of, of demonstration by our, our field application engineers. Uh, they were, uh, you know, basically independent the rest of the day. Uh, they had really good success. I think we have a video somewhere that uh, you can refer to afterwards yeah. um yeah. but uh very very easy and then for those like you mentioned that that want to have a little bit more control or more flexibility then yeah we offer like a high level uh uh api um or programming uh, in blocks that can run either on an external computer or on the controller itself um you know uh, so we offer like a python and uh, in the future we'll have a c similar to what uh, we offer on our uh, other research level robots Gotcha, gotcha. Because I mean, some of those things, if you're going to integrate the AI and the uh, the vision system and stuff, it might require some. Oh yeah, it will. Yeah, kind oh, of yeah. getting right down yeah. to the metal. Yeah, metal, exactly, exactly. Something like that. <clears throat> yeah. Great, great. So, are there particular applications that you're sort of have sort of ready out of uh, on launch, and then see where people take it from there, or? Um, I mean, like you said, you you had originally developed the Jayco for one purpose, and then you found people were using it for all kinds of different things. Um, I imagine it's, I imagine you can make it very simple for certain things like machine tending or or pick and place and stuff. But um, yeah, support for other kinds of things comes down the road. I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll probably take that question in two parts. So, okay. so the first part is is. Uh, what kind of applications is, is our robot Link Six uh, designed for? So um, it's designed for the, the 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 main traditional, I guess, uh, cobot uh, applications. So machine tending, pick and place, okay. uh, packing, bin picking, um, and uh, sanding and polishing. Uh, dispensing also is coming up. Um, and then uh, we've been obviously following the market very closely, and there's there's good interest now in in uh, welding. Um, and palletizing, though maybe the, the reach of our Link 6 is not particularly uh, well adapted to that. Um, but uh, for sure, we're, we're keeping them on our, on our eye uh, to, uh, to track those and make sure that uh, we have a product that meets the need to those, uh, those applications. So those are the, the, you know, what kind of applications it's designed for. After that, um, it's what we want to offer kind of out of the box. So, so that goes to, into a little bit more detail on, on, into my role, which is, um, okay. we're trying to see, uh, how, how much value we can deliver to the clients, the end, end clients, I mean, uh, with the robot. So today, um, when you talk to any other, uh, manufacturer, the distributors, um, what they can offer you is a robot and the robot is kind of on its own. Um, a lot of, uh, some robot manufacturers work better with integrators. So then you're working through an integrator to, you know, work on that whole solution. But what we're hoping to do um, is uh, is offer more, more intelligence and more integration out of the box. So when we talk about, you know, machine tending, for example, um, we're working on making sure that uh, the client has an option there available. And, and at the end, he can take it or he can, you know, work on his own, uh, but have something that's a, a little bit more, um, as I mentioned, integrated, uh, you know, with a single point of contact, single, single port of support, uh, you know, single PO. So really, really uh, easy uh, and quick to deploy. And uh, what's interesting is that, is, that, is that the risk for the client is a lot lower because the ROI has already been demonstrated. Um, the timeline is well-established, uh, you know, the, uh, 
risk analysis has already been partially completed. So there's a lot less um, uh, uncertainty and it's obviously based on uh, our, our experience in terms of delivering something that really works well. Right. And who knows better how to integrate a product than the people who designed it? Yeah, exactly. We, I think we have some advantages in that, in that standpoint, but um, it's something that we're, that we're doing all, um, you know, like, as I mentioned earlier about our ecosystem that we're building up. Um, right. We have some, some partners uh, signed up. I'm not sure if I can talk about them yet, but, <laughs> uh, but we, we will have a pretty strong uh, ecosystem um, when we start shipping out the robots and production units uh, this summer. Um, and uh, we were looking to, uh, to work with uh, you know, a whole slew of partners in developing those key applications that are really uh, there to give a lot more uh, value directly to the, uh, the end users. Gotcha. The only thing I had thought about, like like native support for that I'd seen was um, Robotique and stuff. It was another uh, Quebec-based company and stuff that does the grippers. Everybody's yep. sort of seen them because yep. they became iconic of end of effectors. End effectors somehow. Exactly. And uh, I think on robot. Is that, uh, yeah. it's a Dutch company or Norwegian, something like uh, that. Dutch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dutch, yeah, and stuff. And, you know, it's similar. I mean, I, I suppose it has, I mean, they do a slew of things, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, all the time it's growing bigger, right? It's growing bigger. And uh, there, there's now more, um, I guess, uh, presence in, in the end effector market uh, from traditional industrial robotic uh, end of arm tooling companies. Um, so that's like a trend. So, you, you know, you, you'll see uh, now, like, uh, I'm try, trying to think of the name of the company, but, uh, uh, you know, you talk about uh, vacuum grippers. So that's a pretty specific market. And industrial, industrial robotics, obviously, they're very, very present. Uh, but now they're, you know, putting out uh, cobot adapted ones. So um, oh, I see. Uh, where, you know, it's easier to configure even. Uh, so it's not only just the part, but you know, go to the website and it's easier to, to configure the solution that they want to do because it's for Cobot. They're trying to build this whole, uh, you know, uh, tag on to this ease of use and ease of configuration instead of having necessarily to go to, through a uh, distributor or to select, uh, you know, with an application engineer, uh, the right solution for you. One thing before we move on, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention, it is the controller runs um, robotic operating system, the ROS and stuff with no. like, which is, no, it does not. No, 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 it doesn't. There's no ever. ROS in it. No. <laughs> so Ross, Ross is a robotic operating system. It's an, op it's an open source project. It's either not, not an operating system. It runs on Linux, um, but it's, um, it's really there to facilitate um, may, I'll say mainly because it's not it's not 100 true, but uh, mainly the research industry and uh, acceleration of uh, uh, robotics applications. So, um, and and why I say mainly is because uh, we there are industrial uh, companies that use ROS at the moment. There's even a specific ROS industrial uh, segment. Yeah. Um, but uh, but overall, it's not something that's designed for, for example, real time applications. Um, and and as, as it's a, an application that runs on top of Linux, it's like it's got its own dependencies and it's, it's fairly large and, and complex. Um, so we run all our own, it's all our own code that runs on a, on a Linux base, basically. Um, and, um, you know, everything from A to Z, safety, uh, controls, everything, uh, the web app, the server, everything is built by us, yeah. 
I see. And that has a, that has a name that I... Yes, uh, Cortex. <laughs> Cortex. That's so, what so I was Cortex, searching yeah. for. Cortex is the, the software uh, generation, I guess, we came up with uh, with our Gen 3 robot, which was launched in 2018. Um, so Cortex has evolved. Uh, now we're up to a version, I think, um, with the, the release of the Link 6. Uh, we're up to, I think, uh, version 3.0. And uh, 3.0 is really adapted to uh, the industrial market. So, you know, uh, we talk about safeties, especially, uh, and everything related to uh, monitoring and uh, safety functions um, is really, really well established. All the visual programming, obviously, the plugin system, which is based on uh, the very, very uh, easy to use Docker system, which is very, very common in, in kind of the IT industry. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, ROS basically doesn't run natively. It doesn't mean uh, in the future it won't, uh, but that will be kind of an option, uh, not, not a paid option, obviously, but uh, it'd be an option if, if some people in the research industry, for example, want to be able to develop, deploy their ROS applications directly on the robot. Gotcha. Um, okay. uh, yeah. I see. Okay. And so that part of the that part of the software that handles, like you say, the safety, the 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 programming, the the whole controller yeah. part of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Even the even the drivers, you know, we write all our own drivers, even for right now for some of the third party tooling that we have. Um, so we make sure that everything works really well together, and um, and that lets us uh, have really really great control over, for example, the testing that we do. Mm. Um, so obviously, uh, being a, a, a surgical robot manufacturer, um, we have uh, ISO thirteen forty five uh, certification, which is basically. Um, it's, I guess, I, in, in parlance, a more traditional industrial uh, market. Uh, it's similar to ISO 9001, but to the next level, I guess, for the, the medical market. Right, right. Yeah, um, I mean, I imagine getting a medical robot certified would be, I mean, just for anything medical, right? And stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Ways to Sunday, so. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty it's pretty stringent, um, but that, that that imposes basically some some methodologies. Uh, with regards to product development, testing, releases, um, and we're trying to keep that common between our industrial and medical segments. Um, so uh, that ensures that you know the industrial robot that we put out, uh, you know, is, is as well adapted to the medical market eventually as the industrial robot. <laughs> right. Is the, is the word cobot? I mean, I know it's more of a marketing term. There's no, there's no like ISO or sort of international universal standard for whatever. It's coming, it's coming. <laughs> is it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess the thing that would define what a cobot is, is that it it moves, it has sort of limits as to how fast it can go. It's built out of materials that are relatively light, so it doesn't have a lot of mass. Even if it gets up ahead of steam, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily going to, <laughs> thunk somebody hard enough to really harm them. Not that it's, and given given the application, right, and stuff. If something's got like a saw blade or or torch in its hand, it's not going to be right next to somebody without um, without uh, without some kind of guarding. But it's for whatever reason, for all these reasons, rather and stuff. It doesn't. Um, it can operate in the same space as as a person, and not necessarily need the traditional sort of do not cross this line or it automatically shuts off yeah so so cobots uh have, like you mentioned it's a it's a it's a vague definition but there's there kind of still some some key elements that come back 
So, so you mentioned a few of them on terms of the, the, the mechanics of the robot. Uh, at that level, for example, if you compare uh, cobots to more traditional industrial robots, you know, um, the first thing is the, the radiuses, for example. So we talk a lot about, uh, you know, pinch points. We talk about um, uh, impact uh, uh, force and energy. And when that's concentrated, on, for example, on a single spot or on a, on a sharp edge, then uh, the impact force is very, very high. Uh, versus the, uh, you know, so uh, we try to um, uh, make it as smooth as possible uh, <laughs> to, to minimize that kind of uh, impact force. Uh, the lightweight uh, aspect is also very important. Uh, cobots are traditionally, you know, we talk about at least two or three times lighter than industrial robots of the same uh, kind of payload uh, reach uh, uh, spec. Um, and that's really, again, to minimize impact energy, uh, potential impact energy. Um, despite that, obviously, they have some uh, speed limitations uh, due to uh, trying to minimize that, uh, even in when they're operating in non-collaborative mode. Uh, and so when we talk about the Link 6, uh, I'd like to talk about it in two ways. One is that it's an industrial robot with collaborative capabilities. The other way is it's a collaborative robot with industrial capabilities. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and and uh, the main reason is that uh, it has all the ease of use programming. It has the mechanical design associated with the, with the collaborative robotics. Um, but at the same time, it can go pretty fast. Like it can go um, about half as fast as an industrial robot. So when we talk about uh, you know collaborative robotic speed, so when it's operating next to a person, it goes slows down to anywhere between 250 and 500 millimeters per second, depending on uh, the risk analysis and all that. Um, and then when it's uh, outside of that uh, kind of collaborative operation uh, range, uh, then we go up to like uh, 1.65. So the spec we have now could go even higher before the release. Um, so uh, quite, quite a bit faster uh, than the traditional collaborative robots. Um, and that really, it's there to, uh, to uh, be more appropriate for a certain pick and play cat pick-and-place applications, um, and eventually to get a quicker uh, ROI, obviously. One thing that I found interesting, and that made more and more sense the more I thought about it, given your the company's history, mm -hmm. I think I had read something on the site saying, I think the main thesis of it was robots should be considered tools in the same way that we think of an electric drill or a wrench, right? They're amplifiers of things that it would be much harder to do without rather than seeing them as replacements for the person who would normally be doing that job. Right. And so mm -hmm. we're not, we're not implementing robotics to get rid of a bunch of people. We're implementing them to make the people we have that much more effective at whatever they do. And yeah. I, I thought, you know, as I thought about it, like, I mean, that's what you guys have always done. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, starting right from the handicapped, right, and stuff. It's not that the robot's doing everything for them. They're just helping them do things that they, for whatever reason, they cannot, couldn't, yeah. couldn't do. Like, yeah. meets them at the edge of their own capability rather than taking over everything. How does that play into, say, the Link 6? If it, Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Actually, we, what we see is, is, is uh, it's extremely, extremely rare. And I don't know, in the people that I've talked to, I've never heard it, is that it's never been used, the robots, to uh, replace anybody. The, the, labor, the labor issues are there already. Um, and which we're, what we're trying to do is, uh, is alleviate some of those issues. But at the same time, the cobot versus industrial robot debate um, 
it's really important in terms of uh, how the employees see uh, and you know perceive and, and perceive the robot in their own use, in their training, and how they they, they interact with it. Uh, but also in terms of how it sees you know uh, their own the value of their own job, their own position at the company. So um, a lot of the times, for example, you go into a machine shop and you already have a whole bunch of uh, you know CNC programmers there. Well, instead of having them you know do the I guess the the, the more the more uh, wary <laughs> uh, unloading and loading of the machines they do the interesting yeah. work of programming the robot programming the machine and it frees them up to do a lot more uh value added uh work um and the the reception of robots is usually very very good because of that um and uh the other the other point regarding uh, augmented augmenting the cap uh, capabilities of people um, it's really there to uh, handle some of the, the tasks that are maybe less appropriate to uh, even the limit of uh, fully functional uh, human capabilities. When we talk about you know very, very fine repeatability, or uh, for example, if you have a dispensing application that you want to make sure that the, the bead is perfect every time, uh, yeah. then you know, robots can be, can be really great for that. Um, but, but anytime, uh, you have a lot of variability, obviously that the humans are a lot better at that uh, for now, and they'll, they'll still be way better uh, at that for, for the future. So Cobots try to aim at the middle of that, where you, you're trying to still tackle some of the high, high mix, low volume applications, but also handle the specific parts of those high mix, low volume applications that are appropriate for, uh, whatever reason, whether it be quality or precision or speed. Right, right. And like we talked about and stuff, there are many different ways some someone can interact with the with the robot. Right down to the, I think there was some kind of like um, visual feedback, maybe auditory too, as to the state of the robot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Into the, it built into its wrist like a green. Yeah, it could be green, yellow, red. <laughs> uh, it's a biscuit, uh, a luminous ring uh, that's there to. Uh, and there, and there are certain colors that are well-defined in the industry. Uh, sure. There's an ISO, of course, uh, for that. But um, uh, basically in line with uh, the state of the robot. So that's there to give feedback uh, to the people around it um, in terms of what the robot is doing. So in the past, in the, you know, I, I don't know if you, you're, you remember the, the robots, uh, Baxter and Sawyer. Uh, yes. From Rethink, you know, they had these, uh, the, the smiley face and the sad face and the angry face. Um, this is the, I guess, the, the, the ISO standard way of, of doing it is, is less with the emojis <laughs> and more with the, uh, the light color. Uh, so, and, and, and most users of the robots are familiar with this kind of um, uh, feedback indications because uh, they're the same as used on, on traditional industrial equipment. Um, and, uh, the, you know, that's there to, to give feedback on the, the, the current state, but also, for example, if you have somebody, let's say you have a, a, a virtual guard like a light fence or something like that around the robot, uh, that'll tell you when the robot is, for example, in full full speed operation, or in uh, you know it, when it detects somebody going through that barrier, it'll slow down, wait for the person to come back out, uh, and then that visual indicator will give some feedback as to uh, you know what kind of mode is operating. Yeah. Are there applications? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, and there are yeah. standard things that robots do, or cobots do rather, or are assigned to do. But I mean, with the AI and the uh, the the brainier sort of um, internals of the controller, how I mean, what kinds of things do you envision that that extra brain power will allow the uh, the Link Six to do that 
sort of the the industry norm would be limited and or not not applicable towards. Yeah, there's three main ones. Um, the, the first is uh, is high speed pick and place, and, and high speed is, is a funny word to use with a cobot. But it, uh, you know, uh, when you look at a traditional vision guided pick and place applications, um, where the products are 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 I guess uh, variable. Um, the, the vision component has, is, is, is huge in terms of uh, the cycle time. And so uh, by integrating uh, you know, AI-based applications directly in the robot, uh, you can reduce the cycle time quite a bit, uh, hmm. something that, that's, that's faster than a traditional robot with a traditional vision system. Uh, it could be faster with a robot and a more advanced vision system. So that's something that, uh, that's really, really uh, interesting. Um, second is handling uh, more variability in terms of uh, process applications. So when we talk about uh, sanding, dispensing, welding. Um, so when you're trying to adapt uh, the movement of the robot to the part that's being, uh, that's being uh, processed, um, there could be a lot of uh, interesting applications uh, or interesting uses for that. Uh, could be um, where you have more uh, customization, for example, in painted parts, uh, or when you're trying to, uh, you know, do one off of your Etsy shop, or you know, your, your more customized <laughs> uh, applications where you want to do sanding, for example, of something that's uh, out of wood, um, then we can handle that as well. And uh, the third one is really in logistics, and and I, that comes back to the point what I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast where uh, a lot of the research industry is now moving into the logistics because that's where you know, they, they see the high growth and, and uh, applications, but also mm -hmm. high growth applications that, that use their skill set uh, uh, of uh, you know, GPU-based uh, vision systems. So obviously, you know, Amazon being the big player, um, uh, you know, everybody kind of wants to supply Amazon, but, but there's a huge, huge market now for e-commerce, uh, picking, uh, distribution, sorting, um, uh, you know, even even uh, companies like uh, Kindred in Toronto, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know them. You know, they they do uh, return handling for uh, Gap and things like that. Okay, um, right. You know, huge, huge, huge uh, demand for applications in e-commerce. Um, so that that's really the third the third one where that GPU component can be really really uh, used to its full advantage. And then there are all kinds of things that you might might not have thought of. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. The interesting thing about this. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's super proof, right? It's like, uh, you know, it can't be more powerful. So, you know, it's got to be able to handle everything. And if it doesn't can't handle it, you know, we'll we'll develop something else. But you know, for now, I think we should be good. Uh, this is a good sort of like hits that sweet spot. I mean, I know a lot of other companies build sort of whole small to large kind of things and stuff. And and the Link Six, I get the the impression from just sort of a survey of. Uh, of other cobot makers models and stuff so it sort of sits in that nice like a lot of people buy this yeah, the, the, you... exactly. the, the five to ten kilo is the biggest uh, yeah. uh, uh, market segment by far um, there are some specific applications where having you know more reach and more payload can be interesting like palletizing um, mm. I, I wouldn't say uh, ready to, to unveil our, our, our plan as of yet but uh, you know right. um you know, keep in mind it's it's a big development that Kino has been investing in over the last couple of years, um, and it's something that we want to necessarily limit to uh, to one uh, to one arm for sure. Um, gotcha. And part of that is linked to the software, obviously, since we've been building Cortex since uh, 2017, 2018. Um, but also the hardware component, obviously, and, and all the capabilities that we're building into the controller. We want to make sure that um, 
we're the, the best prepared to have, handle future applications. So we're, we're looking at the, where the market is going and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there when the market's there. Is there anything else that you think is important that I didn't know? <laughs> uh, you know, when you talk about uh, cobots, there's a lot of different manufacturers. Uh, there's a lot of different models, obviously. I think the last count was like maybe 180. Um, so uh, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, but what, what there isn't a lot of is um, local manufacturers. When we talk about uh, North America, okay. our key market, uh, yeah. For the launch of the Link Six, um, obviously we're going to sell elsewhere as well. But our key market is going to be North America, or is North America, and um, uh, we're one of the only uh, robot manufacturers uh, left in, in North America. Uh, I'll say left because you know Rethink uh, is now owned by a German company, and uh, I think uh, out in California maybe Productive Robotics is another one. Um, but uh, there's not a lot, uh, you know, by by I use instead of by America by North America, but also yeah. by by Canada is is a huge opportunity for us. Um, not only in terms of the location and and all the advantages, for example, in terms of lead time and support, uh, but um, but the support aspect is really really important. Uh, it's something that that's been built up on uh based on experience with our just assistive customers which basically can't you know if you look they lose an arm for a day then it's like you know you chop off your arm for a day yeah. you know so it, it's very very critical to, to be very responsive in terms of the those kind of support requests and the same thing for our surgical robotics customers so um for us it's really really important to to focus on those aspects and say you know which company is going to be there to to back you up which company is going to be there when when something goes wrong um, and I think we're, we're very, very uniquely positioned, um, you know, geographically, uh, in terms of financially as well. We had like a huge investment round announced recently. There's very, very uh, big advantages in, in dealing with the North American manufacturer. So have you guys always handled your own distribution? <laughs> Other companies that, that handle, you know, handle the sales part of it? Yeah, we've, um, we've always had kind of a, a hybrid approach. We do some direct sales. Uh, uh, mostly in the research market, depending on different geographical calls. In APAC, for example, we we, uh, we have a strong distribution network there. In our assistive uh, work, we've had distributors in the past. Uh, and we also have a sister company, Canova GmbH, that handles assistive uh, work uh, in Germany. Um, but uh, with the, the Link 6 and the, our launch into the industrial market, uh, we're definitely building up um, our, our distribution uh, system or distribution uh, channel um, to be uh, as quick and as uh, complete as possible, uh, both geographically and in terms of different industries. In Canada, we have our first one is uh, Calper. Uh, if you know them, uh, pretty big um, in uh, Quebec and in Ontario. Uh, so very, very happy to have them uh, with us. And uh, in the States, there are a few other ones as well. And we're hoping gotcha. to, to ramp that up uh, quick, quick, uh, quickly in, uh, in 2022. Yeah. I mean, research, assistive, medical, they are very specific. I think the Link 6, given the popularity of other products in the market, sort of threatens and, and hopefully promises to be much more popular. Yeah, we like working with, with distributors because um, they uh, they know a lot about the markets that they're operating in, and yeah. hoping to, to to get some of that info back to uh, feed into our future product development, for example. And I mean, you guys have been dealing with high growth for a while, if I understand. Like, I mean, just sort of looking over the years. I mean, you guys have been on Canadian businesses 
yeah. or and uh, Deloitte and Touche's fa- Fast 500, Fast 50, it, Fast 15. Yeah, it's uh, for like 10 years. It's a good run. It's a good run. Yeah. And, you know, just like one, you know, one major sort of uh, financial backing, I think the most recent was in February, like 60, 40, yeah. 60 million chipped in. So, I mean, you guys have got a long sort of track history of, of uh, sort of hitting it out of the park, really. Yeah, definitely, and uh, and and we'll be here for a long time to come. So expect lo- lots lots more of those uh, announcements in the future. Great. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate you taking the time with us. Yeah, of course. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com/podcasts, or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple. Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Finally, this episode was brought to you by Masumi, your one-stop shop for electrical components. Configure your components at masumiusa.com.